Welcome to the 60th episode of the Baseball HQ Eyes Have It podcast. I'm your host, Chris Blessing. Brent is off this week. It was a quiet week for baseball, uh, for me anyway. Uh, I checked out the AA White Sox affiliate Birmingham, which meant scouting looks at Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez, and Christian Mina. Uh, guys that I've seen before uh, getting 2023 looks at them. I'm sure I'll bring those looks to the podcast next week. I have to find some headliners to go with those names because White Sox prospects end up making us feel sad more times than not. So, uh, you know, we want to be happy at some point during our podcasting. Uh, so we'll probably bring some other headliners from other organizations. But anyway, uh, this week I've booked a great guest. Uh, my guest is essentially batting leadoff for us in a series of great episodes that will be taking us through the Futures game, the draft, and all the way to the MLB trading deadline. Um, and then I'll have to schedule more uh, guests. Uh, you know him as the senior prospect writer over at Baseball Prospectus. Mets fans also know him as the co-host with Jeffrey Paternostro, uh, another friend of mine, um, of the uh, podcast host of for all you all you kids out there, podcast. Please welcome Jarrett Sidler to the show. Jarrett, how are you? I'm pretty good, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you for joining us this week. Um, I'm going to ask a series of questions just to kind of you know get our listeners uh, uh, to better acquaint themselves with you that maybe have not checked out your podcast or your work at Baseball Prospectus. Um, how did you get started in the in prospect coverage? So I was friends with Jeffrey um, and some other baseball writers, including Craig Goldstein, who at the time was the minor league editor and is now the editor-in-chief at BP. And also you, we've been buddies for a long time now. Um, And 2016, they started the BP local sites um, and they started a Mets site. And Jeffrey was moving his Amazing Avenue podcast over there, and he wanted me to come host it with him, uh, kind of as a regular thing, because we'd have yeah. like lengthy discussions that he thought would be fun to do as a podcast. And then um, seven and a half years later, I think he's deeply regretting <laughs> that every time we record a two and a half po- hour podcast, where I yell about Buck Walter and the fact that the Mets can't develop players or draft or any of that sort of stuff. And then also thrown some AEW conversation at the end of it. So I was already like, I came on to BP match, just kind of like writing occasional stuff and to do the podcast. And Craig kind of like asked me if I wanted to do minor league coverage. Cause I had always been like kind of around the prospect community, kind of around prospect Twitter. Uh, but I hadn't like had done any formal coverage. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to some, Lakewood games and some Trenton games, I might as well like take a press pass and not have to pay to get admission. And yeah, I'll, I'll write some 10 packs occasionally and I'll, I'll just kind of add to your coverage. And then I got, I turned out to, I guess, be really good at it and got really into it and just kind of <laughs> snowballed from there. Like within two years, I was like, had I had like co-lead on the 101, like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know, I guess I just turned out to be really good at it. And um I never stopped. I've just kept doing it. Um, and Jeffrey's kept doing it too. We've kind of been 
the guy's like kind of vaguely in charge of the prospect content of BP since probably 2017 ish. Um, I like that vaguely in charge. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're definitely for a while there were like other people around, but we've obviously, we've obviously been the two most senior guys for a while now. Uh, Cause for all the weird, like there's been like very, I was actually talking about this with uh, somebody recently. Like there's been, very little turnover in like the lead prospect guys at the major sites for like a while now. Yeah. Um, like kind of, you know, you and Brent have been at uh, HQ for a while and, you know, we've been at BP for a while and a lot of the other major site writers have been kind of doing this for a while, which I actually think is good because there was a period you go back to like the mid 2010s where there was really, really high turnover with this stuff. And it was kind of hard to figure out who was actually good because by the time yeah. you found out if somebody's evaluation was right, they were already working for a team or working somewhere else or left the industry. So I kind of think, like, you know, we've been here long enough that people can still make fun of our Robert Gesellman and Nick Madrigal rankings. So, <laughs> uh, you know, but like there's some level of account. And on the flip side, we were way ahead on certain other players. So, like, there's, you know, we were way ahead on like Dustin May or whatever. So, like, there's accountability. And you kind of get to figure out what different people are good at and what different people aren't good at. So yeah. I actually kind of like that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and I see that in, in my own uh, space. You know, your your more true prospect coverage. I, I come from that background, uh, but in fantasy, it's I would say in fantasy prospect coverage, there's there's more turnover uh, in a sense. Uh, but the established people, the guys like James Anderson at Roto Wire. Uh, myself, um, even Jeff Ponce, even though he's with Baseball America, I mean, he's doing stuff there for fantasy prospect coverage as well. Uh, you know, a lot of a, a lot of the same names are still in it. Um, we're not losing guys to, uh, you know, on the fantasy prospect side, it's mostly losing guys to the data side of of things, um, the, the, not scouts. We, we don't lose many guys to scouts on the fantasy side. We lose them to um, analytical uh, data uh, folks. Uh, we lost a baseball HQ writer this year to the Tigers um, because of that. Um, so uh, always interesting uh, to see who's still out there. I, I guess the last major change out there might have been, uh, I guess, Kylie coming back. No, yeah, Kylie Kylie leaving Fangraphs for ESPN was probably the last big change, right? I guess him, I guess if you want to count KG leaving Fangrass for the Twins. Um, yeah, but, I didn't really count him being a prospect writer during his time at uh, his second or his 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 first go at Fangrass. I guess or his second go. I think he was there at one point before Prospectus. I don't remember that yeah. far back, to be honest. I don't but either. Yeah, you, you kind of get the idea, like kind of what everybody's – strengths and weaknesses are. And I think as a consumer of the product, cause I guess I'm kind of still a consumer of the products a little yeah. bit. Um, probably not in the same way as everybody else. Look, I assume most people that read our products are either reading it for fantasy tips, even though we're not a fantasy website, we still get, we get all these questions that are obviously actually fantasy questions, but are disguised as prospect questions. And then this, <laughs> And then the second one is for baseball cards. Like everybody's really into like these Bowman baseball cards. Now, yes. which I get, which I get too. I'm a, I collected baseball cards when I was a kid, and I like still have some and still occasionally collect them. But like everybody, 
Like, you know, everybody wanted to know about Junior Caminero when his, like, first Bowman autograph came out in April, which was also the point in time where his stock started skyrocketing. So it's like, should I be going after Junior Caminero cards instead of Drew Jones cards? And honestly, the answer is probably yes to that. Um, if being totally honest, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I know you you saw Kevin Arrow uh, a couple. Yeah, of I did. Ago, if I recall correctly, I did. yeah, I loved it. I love the yeah. I love the look. He needs a. He really does need a approach, but uh, for his age level, like I'll forgive some things. It, it's just like I know that some people are down on uh, uh, Jackson Chorio too, but like it's the same thing, like. It's a very advanced level for that kid. I, I got to see hard contact. I got to see everything work. I also saw all the bad stuff um, that's been plaguing him a bit this year. And like, I still believe in that as well. Um, but it's pretty awesome that we've got so many guys that are um, young, youthful, that are progressing all the way up to double A as teenagers. I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, you've got two guys right there that both have a lot of tools and a lot of ability, and they're both teenagers in double a which is you know just the sign of being a teenager in double a is a really yep. good trait and not like completely getting blown away i know neither one of them is like hitting like monsters at double a but they're both doing yeah. like okay they're like you know i think if i recall correctly torio is doing a little worse than league average and caminero is doing a little better yeah but like league average hitter at double a at 19 that's like a real accomplishment everybody else is their age is down in the complex or down at low a and there's some good prospects that are only league average hitters at low a yeah um, I, I i wrote i wrote chorio uh, up um and my like i really think that one of the biggest issues with him right now is uh the the pitch tax stuff in the southern league yeah um i think it's gotten in his head um completely like i he's almost a guy who's afraid to get hit by the ball right now he's bailing so bad um so like i really and truly i think he's a guy that maybe they need to shut down for a second have him regroup and then i i really think he's gonna just hit the lights out of the ball once he regroups like that's that's how simple i think the fix is to get him to hit again I think that's a perfectly valid developmental tactic. I know the uh, Rangers just did that with Evan Carter. They stuck him on the development list for a stay of time to just kind of kind of give him a break, it seemed like. Yeah. I don't know whether they publicly announced why, but that was kind of the inference. Yeah, I don't – I know you see the Southern League. I, I'm actually curious. What do you – how have you been dealing with the – I assume the pitcher evaluations, you're just like throwing out the guys <laughs> that picked up like – eight inches of extra carry because it's just like absurd right but like yeah how, uh, how are you dealing with the hitter evaluations there well a lot of it is i i'm 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 spending more time i'm, I'm more i'll weigh data in other leagues um um like differently than i do with the southern league at this point so for hitter evaluations, my my thing is I want to see if a guy is staying true to himself. Um, like I, I had Edgar Cuero a few weeks ago um, with the Angels, and like um, I, I, I'm not as high as other people. I mean, in fantasy, I should say I'm higher on him as a real life prospect than in fantasy because I think it's just I, I don't know if power comes to the swing profile. It might, who knows? Yeah. Uh, I but I don't see it. Um, I, excuse me. I see a lot of hitters um, 
be much more patient. Um, and I think that's because of the product of how the ball is acting right now. Um, I, I've skipped every Joe Boyle start in Chattanooga. <laughs> like, I mean, he's either Cy Young one day or he's uh, terrible the next. Like, it, there's no in between oh, there. God. Yeah. Uh, with with pitchers, I'm looking for what's what's the intended game plan. Um, what are they trying to do? And in Andrew Abbott, like I got to see him, and like I actually downgraded him when I saw him. Uh, I think he's a. I think he has a very, very high floor, more than a ceiling. I think. I think in his debut, you're seeing where he's at. I don't think he gets much further than that. Um, like I think that he's that. I think he's that prospect. But in Double A, he looked like the next Randy Johnson. I know height difference there, but I mean that was how much his slider was traveling. Um, was was Randy Johnson esque? I know Kieran Paris has had a lot to say about this, both in interviews and on social media. And I thought he had some really interesting points yeah. about how just like the hitters just like don't know what to do, basically. And I just, it sucks that MLB did this in like a full season double A league. Like, why are you screwing around with something that's messing this much with the competitive integrity of the game? In a league where there's actually, like, consequential game action, like, they didn't do this in the draft league or an independent league or even a complex league. Like, these guys are double. Like, some of these guys, you know, Andrew Abbott went, you know, in six weeks from the Southern League to the majors. And I don't think running, uh, whatever, like a 70% strikeout rate or whatever absurdity it was in double A really like did anything to help him or prepare him for the majors. It was just the that line that everybody looked at. It didn't, it didn't help his change up. I'll tell you that. Like, right. and that's, that's, yeah. there's the concern there in the whole profile is, uh, you know, two pitches go farther in today's game than, than it, it did even five years ago. But still, it's, you know, how good is that slider truly um, when you're judging it against, you know, once he got to AAA now in the major leagues? I I, I saw him last year. I saw him this year. And I, I actually, I mean, they were having similar issues last year, too. It just wasn't as um, defined. Uh, it was more that guys weren't didn't feel comfortable throwing the ball. That's what I kept on hearing from, from pitchers. They didn't feel specifically like their slider grip really mattered. Um, that they, they, they were, uh, and, and you saw a lot of guys with high walk rates last year that now have come down now that they have more control of the ball. But then you also have guys that can't control it. Even like, I mean, Joe Boyle just can't, yeah. he can't figure it out. Um, and who knows if he could figure it out. Uh, with a regular ball. I don't know. I mean, I had a reliever profile from the beginning on him. Um, but, you know, even then, he's so wild, so unpredictable. Um, I I did our Reds list last year just because it was, it was the first time I had ever written a list at BP on my own, or pretty much on my own. I may have had a couple of people just fill in blurbs. But I put together and wrote the list where I had literally never seen any of the players live, which was an interesting experience. Um, <laughs> and I had a sketch. Yeah, so I made a lot of phone calls, text messages, et cetera, about the Reds uh, last December. And um, one of them was to a scout that uh, regularly covers the Southern League. Um, 
and had also seen Joe Boy on college too. And it was just like, if you could get this guy, so there's there's two different kinds of wildness or what we call wildness. And this was something that actually clicked in my head a couple of years ago when I had a talk with an analyst. Most guys walk problems are not actually not throwing the ball in the strike zone enough. They're not getting enough chases with their secondary pitches. I, I would say that's true. Hitters can lay off their secondary pitches. Their chase rate on their slider curve changeup is too low. So they're not getting swinging strikes outside the zone. They're not getting foul balls outside the zone, which leads to the elevated walk rate. So it ends up being a deception problem or a command problem where they're throwing less competitive sliders and curveballs. But it's not specifically a zone problem. Like if you go to fan graphs and sort major league pitchers by the lowest zone rates and the highest zone rates, it's generally not that indicative of command or walk problems. It's just different styles of pitching. Mm-hmm. Joe Boyle is not one of those guys. Joe Boyle does not throw the ball in the strike zone. He can't hit like he can't. He's just like throwing the ball all over. Like he's throwing the backstop all the time. Like, but I had a I had a scout um, who was very experienced with Joe Boyle. Tell me if you could give this guy even 40 commands, he would be like a front of the rotation major league starter. Like the Agreed. stuff is that good. And it's also clearly never going to get there for yep. him. Um, at least the starting role. The scout I talked to said you have to put this guy in the top 20 because on the 2% chance he figures it out, he's going to be amazing. And there's still like a 30% chance he like figures it out enough in relief to where he's a late inning type guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still probably all not going to have this guy's, I mean, he's walking like eight guys per nine in double A right now, but also yeah. that ball cannot be helping him. Like uh, you're, you're taking a guy, it, it's almost like dangerous. Like you're taking a guy who doesn't know where the ball is going under the best case circumstances and putting him in a, you're giving him an inconsistent ball. That's like adding like movement to a stuff that already frankly moves too much for his own good. Like mm-hmm. what are we doing here? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know either. And it, it, it it's bothersome. It's made my life a little hard um, yeah. just because, uh, you know, I scout this league regularly in person. Um, um, but I'll be honest, it's kind of caused me not to go as much to Chattanooga and spend more time in high A. Uh, in Rome, and I know that you mentioned that your coverage is uh, uh, was back in the day was Lakewood and um, Trenton. Obviously, Trenton's no longer affiliated baseball. Um, so, you still working out of Lakewood, where as we call it now, Jersey Shore? Yeah, that's primarily where I work out of. It's basically in between my office and my house, so I kind of. Oh, you nice. know, I, I go there. They're very uh, kind to me there. They give me a season credential and just kind of let me come and go as I please, which is great. I, I'm sure you've experienced over the years that the quality of credentialing and media personnel at the ballpark matters greatly to the baseball writers and especially the prospect writers experience and can also like widely vary. Um, yes, it like, can. Everybody has different policies. There's some teams that want to pull want you to pull a credential every day. There's some teams that want to kill a scout ticket for you. Um, I've been turned down for credentials. There's one particular park, the media guy is not there, that just like did not want a credential VP for whatever reason. Um, I had one time I got 
there are, there's one park that's not terribly close. I'm not going to name it because that would be too rude. And also, this was years ago, and I don't know if the guy is still there. There was one that restricted us to the press box, which is – and it was not like a pr- – <laughs> like there's some ballparks where the press box is functionally like 18 rows back in a small stadium, and it doesn't really matter, and I can kind of do whatever I need to do there. This was not that. This was like down the line on the second story, and I'm just like sitting there going like, oh, my God, I can't see anything. Um <laughs> I think know, I know what I think I know that stadium from uh I think that media guy was actually a media guy down here before he moved up there. And I re- I remember um I remember having issues with him then. I, I it's great now. I, I, I can use the USA Today um little thing. So like it gets me passes and if yeah. somebody tries to deny me, I just am lucky to send those media folks after him. because uh, they're they're getting media passes for all the USA Today writers. So yeah. I might as well like, you know, get there. Um, um, but yeah, it, it's when you get a good uh, media guy, it's it's gold. I have Dan in uh, Chattanooga. I don't really know the person in Rome right now, um, but they've never given me a problem all the way back to Jim, who used to be the assistant general manager who handled that. Um, they've always been very welcoming. I, I've been lucky. Um, yeah. Greg, the only Greg, place I've Greg ever had problems has been in Lakewood forever, and he yes, just, yeah, he's just a great guy, basically. And, and so, I yeah. met, I believe, I met him one of the road trips that he came down here. Yeah, um, actually, my first ever article was written out of Lakewood. Um, I, I saw, I saw uh, the current. Well, I don't know if he's still in the league right now, but he got back to the major leagues this year. John Singleton. Um, oh, yeah, and yeah. wrote him up for scouting the Sally, uh, Mike Newman's <laughs> website. That was my first ever article, but uh, yeah, that was non Mets. I wrote some Mets stuff, but um, uh, which is actually kind of a good segue uh, for something that we're going to talk about a little later. So we'll remember that for then. Um, I, I off the air, we were talking about how your coverage is kind of shifting uh, more to video and data. Uh, would you care to explain to our listeners uh, what this means for your readers and listeners to your podcast and also how that has helped you as an evaluator? So I'll kind of start where this started. BP's, I guess, always been known for our live looks dating back to the KG and Parks era. And that certainly continued until the pandemic, basically. So yep. what we had the same struggle with the pandemic as everybody in which – there's stuff going on. We need to do rankings based on the stuff's going on. And we have no actual access to like 95% of what's happening. Um, we have teams have access to some of it because there's only like 22 teams that are actually in the data and video share. What, what you were allowed to scout and when you were allowed to scout was a moving topic. There were, media, maybe one or two other teams. But that forced us to do, for the first time ever, an awful lot of sourcing and data, like really hard sourcing work. Yes. Um, We talked that offseason to people, multiple people from every single team, which, um, you know, you would like to think that you would do that every year anyway, but just as a matter, like I do not have, con- I do not personally have contacts with all 30 teams. And also I tend not to ask teams a ton about their own guys. 
um, because they're incentivized to lie to you when you ask them about your own guys or certainly obfuscate the truth. If I want an opinion on Kevin Parada, I'm not going to ask the Mets about Kevin Parada unless I have a very specific question about Kevin Parada. I'm going to ask somebody that scouts for an AL West team that just scouted Kevin Parada because they're going to give me their accurate opinion. They have no reason to not. Um, But we just, we had to talk to everybody and we had to start getting really into data looks and also just like finding video from weird sources, a, Lifeline for us during the pandemic was players and teams just posting random video on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, mm-hmm. like just all kinds of weird places. Um, so after the pandemic, we sat down after we had done the 2021 list cycle, I guess not after the pandemic, after things started opening back up, um, we were like, how can we apply this to what we're doing? Currently, because I think not just on the public side, but I think teams like really started to look heavily into minor league data stuff, like even the lagging teams, because like the Dodgers and the Rays and some other teams were already doing that for years by that point. But, um, you know, that was when you started to get you started to get fluency within the scouting community over like the trackman type concepts and like the 2020, 2021 range, like people. Mm -hmm. Sources who I've had, who I've known for eight years, all of a sudden are starting to talk to me about like, you know, VAA and that type of stuff, um, who previously had not really been, who had previously been like scouts or still yeah, are scouts, Or they didn't but, care about yeah. that stuff right. because they yeah. thought it was a threat to their jobs. Right. This And what happened, this is like the natural selection, the people that kind of got it and figured out, okay these are what my analysts have identified as the good trades. Let me figure out how to use my eyes to figure out what they're looking for. Those people have continued to advance in the scouting industry. And the other people have like three teams they can still work for because the other <laughs> 27 teams are sort of like, in fan, it might be more than three, but it's not a lot. It's um, not a lot, man. It yeah. is not a lot. It's amazing to even still watch, um, Specifically, when I go out and amateur scout um, to see how uh, I, I, I hate to use the word lucid for this, but see how lucid some organizations are yeah. when it comes to uh, data specifically, because guys with bad data, um, the the good teams are not necessarily watching them. No, I mean they'll they'll get a little, you know maybe one open side look or you yeah. know get the gun on for a few pitches or something like that. But they're not doing a full write-up on that guy. They're not not going to turn him in. Where maybe another organization that is relying mostly on their eyeballs um, are uh, that that's a guy that interests them. And then all of a sudden, you get a kid get drafted who nobody that you talk to because you talk to smarter organizations um, uh, are were on at all. Um, so we see that I, I see that a lot in the amateur game. I had a real fun time finding a Brenner Cox report for the Nats list last year for exactly that reason. And they gave him a million dollars that he cannot hit. Um, anyway, I did find somebody. The report was, yeah, he can't hit. I don't know why they gave him a million dollars. 
Um, anyway, um, not to get anybody in trouble with the Washington Nationals. Somehow I've become like the Washington Nationals or bad at this expert, which is not actually a fun thing to be because I just get yelled at by Nats fans nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, See, so but I- that's, a, that's a good thing about being a fancy guy. I can tell you that the White Sox suck, but they yeah. already have acknowledged it on face on, on Twitter. Their, their guys <laughs> acknowledge that they can't develop anybody at all. Um, they got lucky with super talent or acquiring guys. Um, but other than that, like they, they can't finish the job from drafting a guy to, um, to the major leagues unless they come already developed from college. Meanwhile, the Nats fans on Twitter still think Robert Hassel is going to be an MVP candidate. And I'm just sitting there going, Oh, you sweet poor children. Like this is just not going to go well for you. Um, (laughs) So anyway, back to the story. Um, so like 2021 comes around and we all start going back to games and it's just like, I think we kind of realized that it wasn't the greatest use of everybody's time. Not that going to games doesn't still have value. Um, we're going to talk about Kevin Parada in a minute. And I picked up something in Kevin Parada's stance that I would not have been able to pick up on video. But at the same time, I spent, I don't know, including travel time, whatever else, you know, three and a half hours probably going to and from the ballpark to see Kevin Parada and Blade Tidwell and Alex Ramirez. And in that three and a half hours, I probably could have seen every single bat and every single inning those three guys had this season. And we have a lot of data available to us publicly, any league that has the ABS system had to have a Hawkeye installation and major league baseball has turned on those data feeds that you can scrape for all of the fun stuff. I can, we have have an internal tool that scrapes it. We don't publish it, but it's there and I can see it. So that's like like 40% of the minor leagues right there. I can just pull up the, you know, we had a, when we were talking about Andrew Abbott a minute ago, I typed in Andrew Abbott, and yeah, his slider chase rate's not where it should be. Like, that's something I can tell you. Is slider whiff rate's also, like, not as high as I would have thought it was. Um, but anyway, um, and then, like, the other 60 65%, I mean, look, this is my eighth season doing this. I know a lot of people. I can get the TrackMan data that I need to get the majority of the time, usually yes. it's not very difficult. People are, you know, pretty forthcoming with that. As long as you don't say so-and-so gave me this data in a column, which obviously I would never do. Cause you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm engaged to a journalist. Like I know like the rules on this stuff, like a lot of baseball people don't like understand like on background or off the record or that kind of stuff. But I, yep. I, I do. Um, and I tend not to publish. So one of the, we had actually talked about this this afternoon when we were uh, going back and forth about what we were going to talk about. One of the weird things is you end up with like these weird date, like the data sets don't exactly match each other. Um, so like you'll see a bunch of different sources with 2022 Ellie Dela Cruz chase rate is my go-to example here. There were data sets that had him like around a 30, 31% chase rate. And there were data sets that had him around like a 36, 37% chase rate. 
And that's basically just calculate. There's two different things that go into that. One is that different teams or different media organizations are collecting this data or like constructing the strike zone slightly differently, or they're like making a different adjustment for his height or things like that. You know, the box is actually different. And then there's some teams that like throw out non-competitive pitches, like they'll throw out the spiked curveballs. So you end up getting like these slightly different variants. If you go on fan graphs and compare the pitch info data with the stat cast data for like plate discipline, it often is off by a couple percentage points. Yeah. It's just like it's a slightly different calculus. or mention actual numbers unless they're like unless one they're like public and verified or two they're like really really interesting mm -hmm. um you know like spencer jones's exit velocities but i guess he was actually in the FC fsl last year so that wouldn't even he count. was yeah um I, yeah, so and that, that contributed to a lot of his height was what yeah. he did in the fsl yeah. see that's another problem you run into when you're not sourced uh, like one of us is you put a lot of weight in what he's doing in a very yeah. small sample in the Florida yeah. State League and ignoring what he did at Vanderbilt. And then yeah. you get into a situation where you've got him ranked higher than other people. Yeah. And you come into the season and I, I had some Spencer Jones looks and like, I mean, it's a it's a it's a good prospect. Let's put it that way. Yeah. A good prospect. But I would not have. Like right now, I don't really have him in my top 100 consideration after 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 watching him and seeing his process. I think that the upper minors is going to be a struggle for him, um, especially with his swing. We um, had him in the 50s or 60s on the 101. I yeah. think he's going to make the midseason 50, but it's going to be tight. We yeah, basically but... kind of have him unchanged. Now, I will, I will completely cop to I – I'm higher on guys that just damage the ball incredibly. We had yeah. James Wood at number three in the offseason, right? So, like, we're, we we are generally kind of, as a rule, high on guys that just run, like, incredible damage rates yeah. um, or barrel-like rates or whatever you want to call him, which he does. Um, the contact is a problem. I'm So, they were in town last week, and I did not get to see them because of the horrible wildfire smoke. I have had yeah. horrible luck this season with like just the weirdest weather and scheduling quirks. They're back in a couple weeks. He's very clearly not getting promoted. So I didn't. And, that, and that's a good yet. thing with Hudson Valley. It's not right. like, uh, it's not like when, if they came to town and that happened for right. me, they're, they're not back again. Right. Um, uh, you know, uh, yeah. it's, it, it's what it is. Um, it's just what it is. You get lucky. And like, I, I like that I get to see Bowling Green several times because I get to see the Tampa's not shy about promotions. So like they're they're gonna have a different team every time they come in. Um it's just how it is. That's not usually the case with Hudson Valley. Hudson Valley's gonna be a slower um uh, the Yankees are gonna be slower at promoting guys. Yeah, and he's um, also not killing the level or anything. So I think yeah. he's gonna He's going to be there until at least, I think, after the break, and I think they're in right right before that. Now, the one I'm concerned about is Frederick is coming in right after them, and I'm really concerned that Jackson Holiday is going to get promoted to double-A after yeah. the Futures game. It's the week after the Futures game, and I just like feel Ooh. like he's not going to be there. 
Like, I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. Yeah, and like, it, it's like, we'll pick up Jackson Holiday at some point. Look, I'm, he's going to be in the Futures game. We're going to have guys in the Futures game, so we'll get the future. We'll get the Futures game batting practice, the single most deceptive display in prospect writing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to get there though. Like I, I'm trying to see if my my schedule will allow it. Uh, I think Brent's going to be there, um, but it's just fun. It's all I look at that as a fun networking opportunity. I get to see everybody um, um, that makes it out to that game, and it's always good to talk to them yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And and uh, you get a good show. I mean, that's yeah. what it is. You get a good yeah. show. Um, and it, 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 I mean, it is, it's, it's the prospect, like fall stars, isn't that good in the Arizona fall league? Like fall stars is good because all the fantasy guys are around. It's a different, different breed of, um, guys that I get to catch up with for that. Um, this is a, a bunch of prospect guys. Is, is Jeffrey planning to be out there? He's like 50, 50. Um, I'm pretty sure Smith Brickner is going, um, I'm pretty sure John Troopin is going. I, I, he's actually from that area, although I okay. don't know that he's still there right now. This is bad. I don't know exactly where people are right now. Um, <laughs> I think we have some other people going too. Jeffrey's Jeffrey's in Utah now, so it's less yes. of a less of a flight for him. I'm just I I'm not doing a cross country flight to Seattle. To, Go on. Look, I went to Denver. That was a lot of fun. I got to see Otani in the home run derby. That was like yeah, really that that's cool. pretty awesome. Yeah, I, I I hung out with Brent for a lot of that yeah. weekend. Um, yeah, I remember him saying that. Yeah, we. Yeah. I I missed that because I had been scheduled for Atlanta. We don't have to go into yeah. that, but um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, like that. That's um, I mean, that was I I really hated missing that, but again, yeah. I budgeted like, for a Florida trip instead of the all-star game. Cause I thought it was going to be in Atlanta and there you go. It just, I, sometimes things happen. I had, um, cause that wasn't in the BP travel budget, but I had a pandemic era travel credit that was like going yeah, to expire. Those are so great. I just, yep. Just, I was just like, <laughs> trip. that's all I need. If you give me $500, <laughs> I will get out there. Yeah. Um, so and I got out there, um, and yeah, well, that was that was that was an incredible week. Um, except for the six hours where everybody thought there was going to be a terrorist attack on the game, which like everybody yeah. just forgot about immediately. There was yeah, that weird, was that was a weird. Yeah. It, it was a weird time. That that was a weird yeah. weird little thing. Well, yeah. this is a perfect time to take a break and hear from Patrick over at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Eyes Have It listeners, Patrick Davitt here from the Baseball HQ Radio Podcast. This week's pod is another great Friday full edition featuring an expert interview with Eno Saris from The Athletic discussing Ellie De La Cruz and where all Cincinnati's great prospects will end up playing, Alec Manoa's demotion all the way to the Complex League, how teams are using advanced tracking to spy on pitcher tells, and why players have a tough time when they move to a new team. He'll also tell us about the model for pitcher analysis, where it came from, how it works, and how fantasy managers can take advantage. Plus, he'll have his go-to beer and the five S's of the perfect sandwich. And we'll have all the usual great stuff, news analysis with Ray Murphy from BaseballHQ.com and our Baseball HQ commentaries. That's Eno Saris, 
Available now on this week's Friday full edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio, and I hope you'll join us. Thank you, PD. Don't forget to tune in to the award-winning Baseball HQ Radio at uh, your favorite podcaster. Log on to BaseballHQ.com and look for the flagship Baseball HQ Radio widget. Oh, we're going to move on to some players now um, that I almost said Brent. That's bad. Um, that Jarrett has seen. Um, we talk about Brent very quickly, um, or very, um, very quickly just then. Um, and then his name got in my head since I've said it so much on this show. And he is also my boss. Um, first guy up is a catching prospect. Uh, and I use the catching um, loosely on this. Um, the catching prospect for the Mets, and that's Kevin Parada. Parada. Um, uh, you got to see him, I guess, when Brook when uh, Brooklyn came to town, right? Yep. And that was what uh, was your thoughts on him? Well, he's probably not going to be in our midseason fifty. Is kind of a short version of like I don't. So he's got like, and he appears to have fixed this in videos since. But he was like doing it's like so weird that I actually took like video evidence of it and embedded it in an article at BP on one of our ten packs. But he was like doing this weird thing where he was like breaking his hands down and like his setup, so the barrel of the bat was pointing at like his back heel. Like it was, it was bizarre. It was causing him to like not be able to get around on like ninety mile an hour fastballs, which was like just bad. And I hadn't, you know, he's got kind of a we- he's always had kind of a weird setup, but I'd never seen it that bad. So like he's just like so I see him when he's like doing this like weird handbrake thing that like he wasn't doing in spring and appears to have stopped doing. So I don't know what that was. Um, I the I saw him like I saw the couple of games where he actually threw out runners but it's still that was only because they were running on him every single time they got a guy to a first base <laughs> that wasn't like Rickson Wingrove who's like a 260 pound first baseman um like they were just running and he was throwing a few guys out but it's and I know the arm stuff doesn't actually matter that much anymore but he also just did not look good behind the plate in general. Like, he didn't look fluid with his motions. I tend not to care too much about visual looks. Visual looks on catching prospects are just, like, something. Like, for defense, like, I, I'm i not – I'm not Jerry Weinstein, right? Like, I just don't um, – I, I just don't know enough about catching to, like, know what, like, good framing looks like in my head. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that this is one of the this is one of those things where you start asking people. Like, if you start asking um, sources about what the, people will come up with a number of different positions for Parada, and almost nobody actually thinks he's a catcher at this point. You know, you'll hear second base, third base, right field. He's athletic enough to where it's probably not going to be first base. Which is also really good because he's not doing a lot of damage with the bat either. Yeah, he um, isn't. Just like so, like our defensive metrics, which are just estimates, but you know, we'll we'll say what they are. We have him already six runs below high A average for the season, which is like oh wow, like almost like Ryan Dumit level bad. Um, so that's like unplayably bad back there, and. 
nothing I saw counter indicated that. Like he's obviously having horrible throwing problems. Um, he did not look particularly good as a receiver. I, I just I. It's very clunky, and and see, right. so I I feel like I I do a fairly good job at scouting with my eyes of catchers, and like I look, I I put a lot into um comfortable comfortableness of being in the in the catching position, uh, guys that aren't are not struggling necessarily to move. And see, watching him, and I'm watching actually him against Jersey Shore. Uh, right now I'm watching offense, and I see what you're talking about, about his his bat going right down. But um, I also watched uh, some of his catching before we talked uh, on here. And, uh, like, he's just not comfortable, like, in his in the catcher's crouch. Like, he's yeah. he's almost unbalanced. And I've seen guys come through. I haven't seen many guys um, – I don't think I've seen anybody that has been really it turned into an average catcher that had trouble staying balanced when he was just calling pitches. Um, so right. it's like, just like that, stiff and it doesn't look right. And like I yeah. compare that in my head to Francisco Alvarez, who I saw there a couple of years ago, yeah. um, who was also not considered a particularly good defensive catcher at the time, although he turned out to be really teachable at those things and now seems to be a good to very good defensive catcher, 21 years old, the majors Alvarez always looked really fluid back there. It always, you know, he was moving around. Well, he was, you know, fluid motions with his glove. They were teaching him different uh, crouch setups. You know, they were teaching him the one leg out. They, you know, had him doing different, different stuff back there is kind of but he always seemed teachable and he always seemed like he was proud of just yeah. like stiff and clunky it's the same thing with edgar cuero from the angels <laughs> um not the greatest defensive prospect but like you can project it forward to him getting there he's athletic enough he's not struggling to stay in that position he's he's not like clunking his way to get to the one knee method you know like there's there's things that you you can really pick up with guys that you're just like all right this guy's gonna figure it out uh, this guy's not gonna figure it out and and there's it's it's really fairly easy in my eyes to to see those things uh, framing again that's kind of hard to to really see I want to see how um, I want to see what calls a guy um, steals. Um, we, I, I, I never really talked to the guy, but we have an umpire, essentially an umpire evaluator that works out of this, uh, Southern league, um, and the South Atlantic league that I think lives around here. And so I've watched him evaluate and I've been looking, you know, and I'll see him like shake his head at some things. And, and it's usually cause it's framing like, you know, dude, you just got fooled by this guy's framing job. And I try to look at those catchers to see what characteristics they have. And a lot of those guys that even, even the the lesser name guys ended up being major league catchers because of their ability behind the plate. Um, so, so with uh, Parada, do you, do you believe that the, the power will end up carrying or um, I, I know that the data is not necessarily saying that, but did you see anything in your look that said, okay, this, this guy looks like a first round, uh, college hitter not really no like there was more swing and miss than i expected he really wasn't putting a charge into a whole lot again short look but i 
there was nothing in here that really counteracted the data that just kind of goes what what's going on now i i will stipulate the one thing that would give me some positive here is a met fan something that's been observed going back to when john sickles was one of the top writers he coined the term young catcher offensive stagnation syndrome and mm-hmm. young catchers especially ones that are struggling on defense can tend to stagnate offensively yes so maybe you can take the idea that this guy ends up as a second or third baseman next year and then all of a sudden this latent power that hasn't really shown up as a professional but did show up with metal bats going back to college for him maybe that comes back that's kind of like what you can hold your hat on because yeah right now it just kind of kind of looks like a guy who's not really a catcher and has a decent approach and not a whole lot else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well i think that's a that's a very good look that's kind of from uh you know looking at my quick observations this afternoon I haven't really gotten any video of the Eastern uh, Eastern League or the Northern South Atlantic Le- League yet, so I haven't had as many Mets looks as I would want. I heard their Eastern League team kind of is bad. Um, yeah, um, it's. I mean, if you really, really want to see Matt Rudick, who's interesting, but um, yeah, in the same way, it's kind of been interesting going all the way back to college. He makes really good swing decisions. Yeah, has really, really good back to ball. Um, and it's like impacting the ball a little bit this year, and that's even carrying the day. But he's also like 24 in the Eastern League, and yes. I have no idea what he's still doing. Like, it's that important to get Lorenzo Cedrola playing time in Syracuse. Like, what are we doing here? I, I had a I had somebody reach out, a friend of mine reach out and say, ask me if it was the next next Jeff McNeil, and I was like, no, man, sorry. Um, no, he must he's be like, like oh, have, you, have you scouted him? I was like, no, dude. Like Jeff McNeil's kind of. You know, there's it, it, it's a different animal. Yes. Um, there was reasons why McNeil was older when he broke out. Um, yeah. And you were right there. Um, yeah. You you basically were one of the people that broke it, if not the person that broke that. that um, I, I very famously on our prospect put a sixth grade on him when he was a 25-year-old in double A, which was, in fact, so nutty at the time that Craig strongly advised me not to actually write it on the site. So I dumped it on the podcast instead. That's um, awesome, and yeah, I was right, but it was also that was part that may have been bad process, good result for all I know. Yeah. I don't know, um, but well, yeah, I just I, I was like, oh my god, this guy's a seven hit tool. Wait a minute, why is this guy still in double A as a seven hit tool? When he's twenty five. Yep. He turned out to have a seven hit tool, but uh, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I'm not because like I didn't have him as a I had him as a reserve, but yeah. when I saw him in low A. Uh, I think it, I guess it might've been Savannah at the time. I don't know if they moved to Columbia at that point. Yeah. Uh, I actually put, I put a six on his hit tool and it's in the first minor league baseball analysts, our book It's in our first book, the first book that I uh, helped do, which was 2016. Um, like, I mean, the hit tool was there. Just yeah. the, the horrible injuries, just horrible, horrible injuries. And at that time, like this, yeah, you didn't see swings like that um, come through too often. Um, but like it was, it was a pleasure watching him uh, work the field back then. Um, and then when he popped up, it was like, okay, well, everybody was off. I remember somebody from a lesser good site saying, "Oh, well, we had him in our top 50. And I was like, "That doesn't count, man. Like having it's him in 47th on, yeah. on a top fifty, it just doesn't really count." Uh, 
but like, yeah, you, you pretty much, uh, pretty much got that before everybody else, uh, and went out and, and see, that's one of the things. And, and you know, this too, you get, um, when you get something right, whether it's a bad process or, or, or not, if it's a good process, it gives you confidence and, and it gives you confidence also to look further, uh, to see why you were right, um, on that. So I think that was probably a good learning experience for you. Yeah, that was one of the first. That was one of the first times I actually went and pulled trackman data on a guy because I was like, okay, he's doing. Like, I need to check and make sure he's actually making as much contact and as much good contact as I think he is. Because like, so that would have been twenty eighteen, I think. Um, yeah. So that's like right when this stuff started proliferate. That was like the point at which it became somewhat easy to get trackman data because at least all the minor league ballparks were still like were like outfitted with it by that time. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, he was like one of the first guys that I pulled that for. It was just, yeah, yeah. His, his like zone contact rate is like 94% and he's like hitting like an extraordinarily large amount of fly balls between like 15 and 30 degrees at like exactly 92 miles an hour. Like this is all really good. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll run with this. Um, yeah. Which <laughs> it's, um, it's funny. It's funny because like back then, it was basically uh, like 2015, 2016, 2017, even into 2018. I would, it was always these these guys or or women um, who were just getting their feet wet in baseball, didn't have much money, weren't being paid well by the ball club, um, doing these track band things. So I would just buy them beer. Like that's what I would do. <laughs> I, I'd go afterwards. I said, how many? Like if it was like. There was a, a lady that was uh, at one of the ballparks around here. And like, I would, I literally, this is before I met my wife, but I'd literally go out with her, buy her and her friends drinks and then take off. Um, Cause like there was an age difference there. I had nothing in common with them, but I wanted that data so bad. Um, and then like, it, it, it's funny. She's working else. She's still working in the game. And occasionally I hear from her and she's like, you need, I tell people that story that you, that's how you got track man data. I was like, yeah, man, like yeah. that's, you gotta, you gotta do something um, for it. It's, it was valuable. And then 2018 came along and you didn't have to bribe people with beer. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. Like this became like the big secret that like nobody would give you, nobody would talk about. And then all of a sudden it just wasn't anymore. It was just like, yeah, sure. You know, stuff is, uh, you know, that's, look, every team's got a database that looks something like Baseball Savant or Fangraphs, and yes. frankly has most of the same stats that you would see on Baseball Savant or Fangraphs, and, you know, that information is no longer, look, most of the teams don't understand why that information is secret. That's what do with, like, weird data licensing from TrackMan and weird yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's like, there's media outlets that can license it at this point. Like, it's not like, it's just, it's not like really difficult. And again, they're putting the stuff in the Hawkeye parks that goes on Savant. It's kind of hard to scrape and you have to kind of do some stuff, but it's, it's not that bad. But we're, not we're coming, we're coming to a point where everybody's going to have this data because right. Haw I, my, Hawkeye's going to be everywhere. And right. My, my guess is, is that within two or three years, there's just going to be minor league baseball savant pages. Right. Yes. Um, and at that point, 
everybody will get to use the weird red and blue graphs um, to talk about minor leaguers too, right? So yeah, that that'll yeah. that'll be fun. And um, then throw in throw in AI based on that. Like we're yeah, we're, we're getting yeah. into a different prospect age, buddy. It's gonna I, be fun. I, I hear um I hear people ask how is AI going to change baseball, and I my answer is it already has. You just don't hear about it. Teams have been into machine learning stuff for like five to seven years. Oh, yeah. like they're yeah. already doing the teams. The biggest one of the biggest jumps in defensive modeling um, was when teams started sticking AI on it, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because and this is stuff. Yeah. This is this is conversations I've had with guys, and of course, we you know I can't go too far into some of it, but like it's crazy, you know, even hearing um, some of like using AI into bio uh, um, mechanics and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like there's, there's been so much that has, has happened, but like, I, I, I'm, I, I know that like, this is, this is such a loaded uh, topic. I think, yeah. I think what, what this does in our realm of things, it's going to eliminate some people from, from the game um, yeah. that aren't necessarily doing the, doing the work aren't, um, you know, Doing the data mining, doing uh, you know the evaluation, all of that kind of stuff. I think that we're going to start seeing some people drop off because of AI, because AI is going to be cheaper um, eventually. Yeah. Like that's just what it is. Yeah. Um, so, so well, to, kind of, to kind of wrap up Parada, yeah, I just yeah. I don't see. You know, I again, there's like some underlying tools there that you can see. Like there's a it's got a real nice approach. Um, you know, real professional approach at the plate. But it's not a lot of bat to ball. He's not really hitting the ball that hard. Like, kind of, what is the offensive carrying tool? It's like this latent power from Georgia Tech that we just assume is still down there somewhere. Yeah, thirty-five percent miss rate in what I'm looking at right now. Yeah. That's old. That's probably not the newest data out there. But yeah, um, that's not. It good. was my my last data drop. So thirty-five yeah. percent. That's that's kind of. Yeah, kind of a freak out type thing, especially if a guy's not going to stick a catcher and not right. hitting home runs. So I mean, you look at you look at the Fangraphs swing strike rate is sixteen point six, which again is that's a that's a number that would correlate with that. Yeah, yeah. All right, next guy is a guy that um, our listeners are kind of familiar with a bit. Um, I know my subscribers at Baseball HQ uh, know a lot about him, and I'm sure my listeners also listen to other people. We've talked about James Woods, and on I mean, every podcast has talked James Wood. Um, but I, Jared, saw him at the worst possible time. I saw him as an amateur, and he looked oh, so God. bad. Yeah. Like, he looked terrible to the point that I texted a buddy, and I was like, why am I here? Um, like good athlete and all of that stuff. Like I saw the worst possible look and from, from uh, a scout that saw that same look who saw him multiple times said that I saw maybe the worst three games of that guy's uh, prep career. Um, and now he's just been awesome. Um, uh, I, I ran several different things with the data that I had last year, looking for characteristics of, um, Dudes that you know, essentially are guys that I tend to um, uh, try to acquire in leagues. And I, I'm looking for really sleepers. But the funny thing is, is James Wood, even though he wasn't a sleeper, showed up in every freaking 
data set that I look at. Hits the ball hard, has some sort of a plan, all of that good stuff. Uh, You saw James Wood, I'm assuming, when he was in high A? Yeah, yeah, I saw him when he came through a few weeks ago. Awesome, awesome. What were your thoughts? So I'll kind of backtrack to 2022. We ranked James was the number three prospect coming into the season. And that was, uh, it was, but we had yeah. some visual evaluations of him too. I mean, the guy's a, like, he's like, he looks like a, like NFL edge rusher. Like he's got like the high waist. And he's just yes. got like, yeah. Like he's, he's got like a really, really great physique. The kind that you actually don't see in baseball a whole lot. You know, he's like six, 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 seven, like 250. Like it's just a, and you know, just a very, and he's like, he runs really well. He plays a real nice center field right now. I don't know if he's going to stay there just because mm-hmm. like guys that size tend not to. I do data with him and he's running like a 92 average exit VLO, like 90th and max 90th and like the low 110s like max in the mid 110s these are really <laughs> really really good numbers he had one of the lowest in zone swing and miss rates of like yes. any prospect in a ball last year which given that this guy is six foot seven with like potential like 70 or 80 grade power is just like incredible um so, so that's that's the really great stuff with him. He hits the ball really hard, and he does not swing and miss a lot. And generally, if you t- put those two things together, and the guy also doesn't have terrible chase problems, which he does not. He does not chase a whole lot. Generally, you're going to get some really, really, really good outcomes there because uh, that's, you know, you kind of break it down to, like, the old Ted Williams on hitting stuff. You make contact, and you hit the ball hard, right? Like, that's the foundation of everything. Yeah, that's the foundation. Um, so as he goes up, just because of the the, the length of his levers, he's going to swing and miss more. He's not going to be able to continue running extraordinary. He's not going to be able to continue running like Nick Madrigal in zone contact rates, like in the, <laughs> in the majors. Like he's just not going. He's too big. Um, so there's that. He, he hits the ball on the ground a little more than you'd like. And something that I really kind of focused on in my looks with him, his in zone swing rate is not good that's like the one metric knock on him is that he takes too many strikes um Mm -hmm. so i kind of focused on that and yeah he's taken some hittable strikes it's like it's like it's a 1-0 count and the fastball right down the middle is going by too that's usually a very correctable issue just kind of a it's a correctable issue it's not a real difficult issue to get around but that kind of there's kind of maybe an implication there that there might be some pitch rec issue um in that he's not able to recognize and attack the right pitches but i'll tell you what man it doesn't matter right now like it It doesn't does not matter i saw him right before he got promoted and he was just like beating the snot out of the ball um when he made contact um he got promoted to double A and has continued beating the snot out of the ball. However, he's had he has gotten exploited a little. It's only over a couple of weeks. But um, I talked to somebody who saw him last week, I think was on the entire series or close to it, um, who was a little concerned about the, the swing and miss dating back to that 
last prep summer where he was swinging and missing at everything under the sun. Yeah. Um, not just that you may have gotten the worst look, but there were a lot of people that got a lot of bad looks. That's how he ended up in the second round to begin with. Cause if you go back to the summer before that, when he was 16, people thought he was going to be a top five pick in the draft. Um, it, you know, the swing and miss kind of kept. Balls that he was taking too many tougher pitchers and double a pitchers. Low-A pitchers, high-A pitchers are not going to be able to exploit that. Double-A is the level where that's going to start to become a problem. So he's it, it's two weeks. He's racked up an enormous amount of strikeouts in two weeks over in double-A. Yes. It also doesn't matter. It's two weeks. But I did get a report on the more recent of the weeks. I like think they were playing the Tigers affiliate last week. Um, that he was just, you know, there was kind of some of the old problems were creeping back a little bit. But from like a visual perspective, this guy's just like, he, he looks like, he's like, look, there's so many of these f- just like freakishly good, amazingly good baseball players that are out there. And a lot of them are young, right? Ellie right. Dela Cruz, Corbin Carroll, Francisco Alvarez. Like these are, these are just guys that are like freakish baseball players for their age. He's another one of these guys that's just like absolutely freakish in that same way where he's just like, he hits the ball absolute mile when he gets he's hitting rockets all over the place he's a big guy but he's got like he's got really good barrel control for a guy his size with his levers that's just i i think he's going to be a star and maybe not in the awful too distant future that being said getting traded from the padres organization to the nationals probably not as good a hitting development organization. I think that's pretty safe to say. I I think it's safe to say, and I'm not the highest on the Padres hitting development, but they're light years ahead of the Nationals. Right. So if you're looking at a guy who maybe has some ground ball tendencies and has some, you know, isn't totally optimized for what his skill set is, maybe – Maybe that's not so good. These in the Nats org. Also, mm-hmm. you know, the Nats org may fix itself at some point, right? You know, it may. It, I, yeah. you would ha- I mean, you would hope uh, for the sake of their fans, of course. Um, here's some short sample double uh, A stats. It, it looks like right now changeup is is causing them a lot of problems, which yeah. we yeah. tend to see when it comes yeah. up to double yeah. A because that's yeah. one pitch that does play up. Um, uh, not a not a big sample, but it's over fifty percent miss rate on that right now. Um, the, his overall miss rate is about thirty two percent, thirty three percent in Double A. It's it's he's chasing much more. It's over thirty percent. Uh, but like, I don't hate it. Like just watching these at bats and stuff. I don't I don't really feel like he's completely overmatched. I just feel like he's being. Um, He's it's the next adjustment. They David they they've come in, they've made adjustments. Now it's time for him to make that next adjustment. Um and like right, I saw that with De La Cruz when he got yes, to double A yes. last year. Same thing. He wasn't gonna be served anymore by beating up on high A pitching. That Wilmington ballpark is one of the worst places in minor league baseball for hitters. So yes, you, leave it is. A, you leave a very talented prospect there and God knows what kind of bad habits you're going to develop. So this was absolutely the right move to push him up to Harrisburg, in my opinion. Yes, even though yes. it was, you know, it was only 42 games at the level. It's kind of fast, but he needs he needs to get there, and he's probably going to struggle a little bit. And he's probably going to press a little bit, 
and that doesn't devalue him as a prospect in any meaningful way, um, yes. as long as he's still flashing the same type of skills that we've seen out of him for the last 15, 16 months, which, you know, just this is a, you know, he's got re- – They've got a chance to actually make out okay on that one Soto trade, even though I don't like anybody else that was in that trade particularly yeah. much. Um, that like everything other than James Wood in that trade that could go could have went wrong is what you know, Robert Hassel's stock is a mile down. CJ Abrams is okay. I don't think CJ Abrams is a major league star at this point. Uh Mackenzie Gore is okay. I don't. Uh, he's got great upside, but between the wildness and the injury, you know, we're talking about a history with a yeah. picture with a lengthy history of injury and wildness at this point. Um, and it's not an organization that's going to pick up anything. Let's um, just be honest, right now. Harlan Susana has some of the best arm speed I've ever seen, and let's not talk about anything else. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, it's just, it's not, but James Wood, this guy, this guy could be, you know, he's probably going to be in the top three midseason again. I can't imagine, you know, look, look, I don't, have you guys put out a list since everybody got promoted out? We do that. We do that at the all-star break. So I, I already do it. So you're already yeah, in the prep like we are. Yeah. I know yeah, you guys I, are a little more fantasy oriented, but it is. So my- I, I would have him right now. I would probably have holiday one. Uh, uh, he might either be two or three. Don't I might me. still, I might still have Chorio ahead of him. Uh, right. I just so, haven't decided on that yet. So holiday is going to be one for us. We've already yeah. decided, like, unless he suffers some sort of horrible injury, like there's a, I don't see an argument that holiday is not the best prospect in baseball with Ellie. It's Kamala. very hard. It's, it's very it's hard. Very hard to make an argument. Cause that guy, that guy, you've got, this guy had good enough tools. He was first overall pick. And he basically has like the best track man data of like any prospect in the last five years, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, he doesn't change. Like he, he does everything incredibly well. They killed that pick. Um, and then for us, you've kind of got, you know, Woods there, Churio's there, Caminero's there. And then the list just like goes off a cliff at that point. Like it pretty much does. We're talking about, <laughs> We're talking about guys in the top ten that you were. We're talking about Harry Ford in the top ten. We're talking about even oh, Stallis wow. in the top ten. We're talking about Gavin Williams in the top ten. We're talking about Andrew Painter in the top ten, even with his compromised UCL. Like That's we're talking crazy, about Cole Keith in the top ten. Like we're talking to like just some wild names, like names you would never like. Yeah, Marcelo Meyer is going to be somewhere in the top ten. That's an easy one. Now, yeah, I think he makes second, my top five for fantasy at least. I like Marcelo Meyer. Marcelo Meyer has some real problems making contact with softer stuff down in the zone. Which you, you are one hundred percent correct. Yeah, which if you followed prospects recently, has been a reason that an awful lot of guys have not hit in the major leagues, like Spencer Torkelson, <laughs> Jared Kelnick, as I've written about at great length. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. He has that problem. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to have that problem in the major leagues, but if you have that problem in double A, you tend not to fix it 
that quickly. But we've just we've went through kind of a cycle where most of the really great prospects have got promoted. And I was talking to a, uh, a senior scout with a team about this earlier today. I think what's happening right now is the knockdown effects, both of the 2020 draft only being five rounds and that lost year of development. Everybody mm-hmm. thought we were going to see that in 2021, but all the prospects were still there and percolating. Now yes. all, we don't have that 2020 class of prep players is now instead in the 2023 draft. They're not in the minor leagues. And not surprisingly, this is one of the best college draft classes in recent memory. Because almost every, like, borderline prep guy matriculated out of that class. So the talent in the minor leagues is just like, wait, we are, we go to 50 in midseason, and I'm like, it's been a real effort to come up with guys for, like, the 40s. Like, we're... We're looking at guys in the 40s like Roman Anthony and Zach Desenzo are like serious midseason 50 candidates. It's like, oh, my God, we can't put these guys in a midseason 50. But also, can we come up with 50 prospects that are actually better than them? Yeah, I, it's you, like, you and I, you and I are leading the De- Zach Desenzo uh, hype. You know, that, oh, right? I, I, you're I, more I, public I, than I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm, of course, at the site and here at the podcast. Uh, yeah. But I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, everybody just check out Jarrett's uh, thing. It, it pretty much. Uh, I'll I'll do the ninety second version on here. Die. Um. So Zach Desenzo, in both college ball in twenty one and twenty two, and in the MLB draft league, did some of the most damage on contact of any hitter in of any draft eligible college hitter. Yes. Now, you're asking yourself, why did he go on day three for 125 slot if that was true? And um, if you search out college video of Zach Desenzo, I don't even know how to describe his swing other than just, like, really bad. Um, and also, in addition to having a really bad swing, he also had really bad contact and chase rate. So he hit the ball really freaking hard but didn't, like, do anything else at the plate. So he's he like had like this ridiculous setup and he's like twirling his bat all around and his foot's in the bucket and he's taking like this giant like KBO style leg kick and you can just like see in your eyes how every scout would hate this guy. And also he was just like running bad contact and chase rates even for the Big Ten in the draft league. So he goes after the draft to low A because again, he's a senior sign. So he's 20, I think he's 22 when they draft him. And he's, like, decent there. He continues to hit the ball really hard and continues to have contact and chase problems. He comes into spring training this year with a completely new swing. He's quieted down all of the really bad stuff. He still has, like, a leg kick, but it's we're now into, like, the JT Real Muto leg kick, which is fine, right? That's yes, fine. Yes. Everybody has that. Um, great swing plane. Still hitting the ball really hard. He's His, his average... His average exit velocity starts with a nine, and the next number is not zero. Um, you know, has really nice 90th percentile. Not good, but it's not, like, catastrophically bad anymore. So mm. so now you've got a guy who's probably going to stick at third base. He's 
still hitting the ball really hard. He's making a decent amount of contact. It's a, his contact's usually in optimized areas of the field. And he's like not really chasing much anymore. Probably going to stick at third base. I know there's some question there. He might end up in an outfield corner. But like it looks right. The data looks right. And the only opposite points we have are now like over a year old. And like he's also like hitting 390. It's not like yes. like Anthony is hitting like 240. 230. Like, the last time I looked, yeah. it was like 235. Right. And I know like everybody's expected numbers have him as like an 850 OPS guy instead of the yeah. 650 OPS he actually has, which is a really interesting thing to be talking about. I, I scouted the video and like it, it's it. it Video look, data look are very similar, uh, and yeah. you you start scratching your head. Why are right. you batting two thirty nine? Why are right. why is your OPS this, right. this far down? Why because, is your why is your on base higher than your slugging? Like what is happening? Both of these guys have done both data and video on. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, because these are these are mid season fifty candidates. Like yeah. both of them are going to make it at this. We got some weird guys in the bat. Like Carson, it's, it's like Carson weird. Hunt's a candidate for this list. Like there's some weird candidates for this. Yeah, list. that was that was a discussion. We had a roundtable. We uh, our writers had a roundtable on June first, and I think it was Nick Richards, uh, one of our writers, brought up um, brought up Carson Wisenhunt. I don't know how to feel about that, but um, yeah. that's something I. Sadly, really, just can't talk about on yeah. on air. Yeah, <laughs> we do know the Pete. We do know the Pete suspension and like say no more. Yeah. Say no more. Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll move to like Ben Brown as a candidate for this list, and like I've seen oh, a lot of Ben wow. Brown, and I never thought Ben Brown was making a mid season fifty. Just yeah, like, man. And also, like a lot of the prospects that like we would have expected to be towards like. Curtis Mead's been bad and hurt. Marco Luciano's been bad and hurt. Um, Daniel Cartaya's just been bad. Um, like, just guys that you would have expected to, like, be bright. Nick Abel's been absolutely off. Like, I'm actually concerned about Nick Abel at this point. Yeah, same here. Um, Indy Rodriguez has been kind of bad in concerning ways, too. Um, I just, I don't, he doesn't really impact the ball much at all at this point. Which mm -hmm. is now we're talking about now we're talking about triple A player. What position does he play and is he gonna hit for any power at all? And like is everything else enough to carry it if he doesn't? Yeah. Uh, you know, Miguel Blaze just had season ending surgery. Uh Sedani Rafal has just been awful and also repeating the level, like which is weird. It, it's a weird time to be writing a list. It's a it's a time. very strange it's a very strange time uh, because all these guys have have been promoted that were were good good prospects and did perform this year, and you just got this crap that's left over. That's all it is. It's 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 and it, and like last year, I felt like in not go too much into this because we have two other prospects to cover. Yeah. But there's there's also the. Uh, I had a hard time after pick 45, I think, last year, not rank 45, uh, mm -hmm. uh, the ranking, um, to really tell the difference between the 45th ranked guy and the 90th ranked guy. Absolutely. And Absolutely. also the uh, 115th guy uh, was very similar to that 45th ranked guy. Like there was just this very uh, big variance. And we saw that on our own prospect list. Um, There's and 
it, it last year's kind of draft crazy. also looks outside of Holiday kind of terrible right now. Um, I guess yeah. Holiday and Zach Neto. Um, you start to look at Drew Jones has been hurt just like all the time. Tamar Johnson has not looked great in the FSL. Um, Brooks Lee, they sent to double A and he's been like, okay. We talked about Spencer Jones a little earlier. He's kind of struggling yeah. in high A. Um, the breakout guys are Anthony, who's slugging 320 or something like that. Um, <laughs> Jacob Mizorowski, who was like, who's like been like one of those guys bubbling behind the, like Jacob Mizorowski was the guy that like every smart team was connected to in the draft last year, which was interesting. Um, and still somehow didn't go until the 40th pick and yeah. still is like an easy top 100 prospect now. But he does not have a very long history of throwing strikes. Nope. Um, it's nope. basically like the last two months. Well, uh, I mean, I, I, and I, I tell people too, like there's been a lot of Ryan Clifford. Um, yeah, Ryan Clifford. Yep. And yep. I like Clifford. I, I do, but there's there's definite uh, definite issues with that game that I'm 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 very concerned about, uh, yeah. especially when I saw him against the Rome Braves high A pitching staff. Um, that's one thing. The Rome Braves, I know they're coming through Lakewood, and I've told our listeners this. Like they don't have any real good prospects yeah. there, but all those pitchers know how to pitch. Uh, he faced Double A, Triple A pitching um, at that level, um, just because they're High A and they're college guys. They're they they get the job done there, and um, that is like he had a terrible series against them. Um, so a lot of swings and misses. Uh, Guys that could command close to the zone really, really caused him a lot of issues. But I think that he's done so well this year, and the data, of course, backs it up. And I'm not saying he's a bad prospect. I, I actually have him ranked fairly, fairly high. He won't be on my top 50 at midseason, but I, he would be in my top 100, definitely. Yeah, I think um, that's about where he is for us, too. I, but the thing is, is I think that because there hasn't been performers from last year's draft, it's now also elevating guys that maybe shouldn't shouldn't have as much hype like uh, Ryan Clifford. Cole Young, I think, is another guy in that kind of conversation. Yes. You know, he's, his stock is certainly up since the draft. Um, he's, a, he's a midseason 50. Yeah. like the next big breakout prospect it's yeah. like he's okay like he's he's okay um he, he's got a nice approach he puts a bat on the ball he doesn't really drive the ball a whole lot yet um he, he's you know fine and shortstop he's probably gonna stick there yeah um it, it's yeah. a decent nice profile, player. but nice it's player. not anything yeah. great that's the thing yeah, um, yeah. and um, that's that's where we're that's where our job gets harder now yeah. um yeah I, and I, I hate to be so down on stuff like that, but it's true. It's just what it is. Um, I rather, I rather be a glass yeah. half empty person in prospect world and be a glass half uh, full in real life because it's a lot. It's a lot <laughs> that way. Uh, let's get to our last two prospects. Um, uh, we'll, we'll go through them both fairly quickly. We're at your space, your base, uh, your ace, I should say. Uh, it'll probably be about a normal time. Uh, Orion Kirkering, uh, right-handed yes. pitcher from the Phillies. Awesome I, 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 and, and here's the funny thing is, is like you look him up and it's uh, not Orion. I think it's Richard. Uh, when I looked him <laughs> up on my on on my little um, internal thing that I have, it was Richard, and I was like, there's nowhere that he's he's 
that anywhere. You know, I've never seen, but that's his real first name. So I guess that's how they list them. Um, he's, he's a right-handed reliever and he's a reliever in the low minors. We don't necessarily talk about relievers in the low minors, but I love the fact that you brought him here because watching him, um, is one of the best low minor relievers I've ever seen. So give us a quick rundown. I don't remind me of seeing James Karen when he was in the similar levels. Um, he was a fifth rounder last year out of USF was a mostly starting pitcher. There was not particularly good. Uh, pitched at the Cape, pitched on the Cape. Um, the Phillies are really good at VLO maximization, so they took him. They stuck him in the bullpen. He's been doing one to two inning appearances. Nothing. All of a sudden, his velocity like he popped the first one hundred two I've ever gotten on my stalker. I'd gotten a bunch of one hundred ones, but he popped a one hundred two for me. Now, I, I will mention that I first of all I knew he was going to pitch that day because Dave Dombrowski was at the game, and I knew if Dave Dombrowski was at the game that they were going to put their highly touted relief prospect. I think this was his first appearance in Jersey Shore or his second. It was right <laughs> after he got promoted. But like, okay, Dave Dombrowski and half the Phillies front office is here. They're very obviously going to pitch Bergering at some point in this game. And they did. And I suspect that the Dave Dombrowski being in the audience may have contributed to that 102. Um, it was a real 102. I was not the only person that had it. Matt Gelb wrote about it at the Athletic. It was not a it was not a 100 that popped a 102 on my gun. It was a real 102. But he was more he was more in like the 97 to 100 range regularly. Not the greatest fastball shape, but also 97 to 100. Who cares? Um, that's still going to get by. That's going to get by major league hitters. That's the 100 green thing. 100 greens fastball shape is terrible, but it doesn't matter because he throws the ball so hard. Also, like a plus plus slider, um, just like a great slider. Um, I honestly have no idea what he's still doing in high A because the Phillies like could desperately need a guy like this, like in the majors in the second half. And he could be that guy if they want him to be, but also they don't seem to be uh, pushing him that quickly because he's still in high A. Like he could be one of those guys that just um, jumps a gazillion levels really quickly. Uh, but it's kind of cool to see that kind of guy pop up because when you're like when you're scouting the the lower minors a ball now you're just going to see like a bunch of like 95 with bad shape and a generic slider it's the 95 mm -hmm. and a slider guy this guy comes in it's like oh my god he's he hit 102 and this is like a seven slider and he's he's obviously just like demolishing these levels for he's pitched 21 and two thirds innings this year and has 34 hits four walks and a lot 34 strikeouts and his allowed four walks and nine hits. So like it's, he's had three times as many strikeouts as men allowed on base. Yeah. Like, just what are you still doing here? Um, but yeah, that was, that was actually like fun to watch. He just then Yeah. He, he was just it's, based, it's, based on my little nine game. I, I have a very limited, um, data yeah. sample here yeah. um a 65 percent uh whiff rate on the slider yeah um, like it's like i don't throw like a seven slider around like that's not like a number yeah. that i'm gonna throw like this was actually a seven and visually and also on the data yeah it's uh, he's just he's blowing guys so he's way too good for the, these levels yeah. and and even the fastball with the poor um poor shape and stuff 30 percent um, yeah, a strike I mean, rate, a strike rate over seventy percent on the fastball yeah. as a reliever yeah. is like, I mean, we're talking about plus to double plus as a reliever. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so like that, the uh, command, I should say. So yeah. um, we have its average fastball here in this data set at 99. Yeah. Um, slider at 80 at 90. Uh, yeah, right at it's, 90 it's got a hour. lot of it's not like one of those like real like you start getting those sliders in the low 90s some of them don't move a whole no this this slider's moving a lot at that speed yeah, yeah. Uh, just from what i saw on the video look not not some of the greatest video looks but um yeah. it looks like a guy that should be in the major leagues this year yeah yeah i again i don't know how quickly the phillies are going to push him um, the Phillies also may be falling out of the race, so that may impact things too. Um, you know, they tried to push McGarry into a major league relief role, like towards the end of last season, and he never even made it up because it was kind of a disaster. So, but he's yeah. already, Kirkering's already in the bullpen. Um, it's not like a mid conversion. I've seen people suggest that they might try and stretch him back at absolutely do not do that. Like when Don't a guy jumps like six miles an hour in the bullpen, just leave him there. Like just let this develop. Like you can you can be really freaking good out of the bullpen. Like not everybody has to be a starting pitcher. And and and, and that's the thing. If you look at his uh, if you look at his college work. His walk rate has just dropped yeah. considerably as a pro um, yeah. outside of, you know, not starting uh, all the time now. So, like, let's keep him this way. I mean, right now he has K rate, 14 uh, strikeouts per inning. Like, let's let him play. Let let the yeah. dude play as a reliever. Um, this is future closer. I, I, I saw – I had the opportunity to see um, um, Kimbrell as a minor leaguer. Yeah. Um, Kimbrel didn't have command at all when I saw him, but like the stuff, like it was so obvious, like this guy's a major league reliever if he ever finds uh, remote any sort of control and command. Um, like I, I had that kind of feeling just watching this guy's video. This is, I mean, it's a two pitch mix that's going to be nasty, especially for one inning at the end of the game. Like this is one of those few relievers in fantasy that I might target just because. Um, our last guy's another very interesting name, um, Nick Frazzo. Uh, um, what, what do you have on Nick Frazzo? I know you did video work on him, just kind of like I've, what I've done. I've been following. So he popped up for me like fairly early in the 22 season, right when he was coming back off of his UCL surgery. Yeah, hold on one sec. It's a Dodgers prospect. I didn't even mention that. So yeah. um, Dodgers prospect. Yes. Um, so, well, he became a Dodgers prospect. Yes. So if you had a UCL surgery, there's been some uh, – I have conflicting sources about whether it was a brace or a full repair. It doesn't really matter. He had UCL surgery. He was out for a year. Um, so, at the, like, in spring 2022, like May, June 2022, there were three really interesting pitchers that popped up in Dunedin. Uh, Ricky Tiedemann, who quickly became one of the best pitching prospects in the game, but has now been hurt for this season. Uh, Yasmar Zulaleta, who I could talk about for an hour, just like an endlessly fascinating pitching prospect to me. And then Nick Frasso, and they were all at the same level, and they all got promoted out. They were all just like putting up completely absurd pitch metrics. Yeah. So I'm like starting to like, I'm like looking at this guy and this is like a fourth round. Like I kind of know the name is a fourth rounder out of Loyola. He had, he had elbow surgery. So he was out for, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I throw on some video and it's like, oh my God, like this guy's actually like really good. Um, so I start digging on more video and data work and I wrote him up as like a, 
And and I talked, I found like some people that really liked him that were like scouting the Blue Jays system. And I wrote him up right around the All-Star break last year as a guy, he wasn't like really in the mix for our midseason 50, but he was a name that came up during the research for our midseason 50, just because he's throwing high 90s. He's got a ton of carry on his fastball. You know, his slider whiff rate is incredible. And then you like look at the shape of the pitches and like the pitch modeling stuff actually likes his change up best of all, which at that point he was like barely even throwing. So um, he's in the Blue Jays system. And then at the, like an hour before the trade deadline, the Dodgers trade Mitch White to the Blue Jays for it's just like on the scroll is like a prospect. And then I'm like, oh, my God, they either got Frasso or Zulawet, didn't they? And sure enough, they got Nick. They picked their pockets. They got him from they Mitch White him. and Avon de Jesus. And this guy, I was writing about this guy by this point. If the Blue Jays didn't know how good this guy was, that's on them. Um, yep. So the Dodgers take him and. Sure enough, they tightened up that changeup. Come and we ranked him on the 101 last year because I couldn't find a reason not to. Um, he didn't pitch a ton, but it was really impressive stuff, and the metrics were all there. And he wasn't that late of it. Like the only reason not to rank him in our top 101 was they got traded for Mitch White. And at the end of the day, we decided that wasn't actually a good enough reason. That just may have meant that Blue Jays were kind of dumb. Um, and then he came out this year and he's a double A and his changeups taking a jump and he's throwing it Big a lot count. more and it looks like a plus pitch now too. And now all of a sudden we got a, we got a guy in the high nineties that's throwing, that's his slider and his changeup are both whiffing batters like crazy. And he's been hurt a little bit. He hasn't pitched a ton again, but like on a per inning per pitch basis, like this guy's doing like the only other pitcher in minor league, the only other like top pitching prospect in minor league baseball that keeps up with this on a per inning per batter basis. The only other ones are Gavin Williams and Emmett Sheehan uh, also mm -hmm. in the Dodger system. Um, and it's uh, out of high minors guys at least. Um, yeah. And it's just like, you watch video and he's like kind of all arms and legs, but he's clearly picking up a lot of deception. Like it's kind of like one of those like weird, like the balls coming out from a different angle than you expect it to release points. Um, kind of like it's not really sidearmish, but it's like more sidearmish than you expect. Um, and we've discovered two things about that kind of release point over like the last five years, which is, one, it's very deceptive, and two, it doesn't actually necessarily mean you're a reliever. Um, yes, and it, before it did. Yeah, teams would just take these guys and throw Yeah, Yeah, the, the, the less smart team 10 years ago would have said, this guy's kind of injury prone, he has kind of a funky release, he throws in the high 90s with the slider. Yeah, he's our closer. They would have done the Orion Kirkering thing with him, which makes sense for Orion Kirkering, does not make sense for Nick Frasso. I have no idea what kind of role he's going to end up pitching in the majors. He still isn't like turning over orders three times and stuff like that. But just like, I it feels like a guy that's going to be getting big outs in the major leagues into this season sometime next season in some type of starting or very high leverage multi-inning reliever role. And 
my God, if you've got that guy in your system and you trade him for an up and down pitcher, you really better be reevaluating yourself, Scott. This was not something that was happening on the Dominican complex or the even the Florida complex. Like this guy was in full season A ball for them and they did not realize what they had. So I, I just he's he's a guy that I really enjoyed watching and following over the I, I spoke I here. spoke to a contact that saw him in Florida. Um uh, and he put a he's like I can't figure out what role this guy is, but he's something and it's yeah. significant. Yeah. yeah. And when the trade went down, I texted him. He doesn't work for the Dodgers. And he was like, yeah. uh, we, we tried to push for him in a prospect for prospect deal. Yeah. Uh, we liked him that much. And we thought we were getting pretty far in that discussion. And then um, he got traded for white. Mitch <laughs> um, white. <laughs> um, but anyway, he was like, there's this chance where he is. Uh, granted he's a right-hander and there's not really much similarities but like uh he could fit an andrew miller uh late uh last decade guardians role where same kind of release too it's the same sort of release too and 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 that's the thing is like he was the most dominant reliever for a good portion later in his career once he kind of figured it out um and so, like this, th- I mean, this could go many different outcomes. I think the variance of outcomes uh, of of uh, whether this is a major league or not, it, it's truly a major league and it's truly a contributor. The variance of outcomes for this is what role it actually ends up being and how this works. And of course, uh, the Dodgers have so many pitching prospects at this point. Um, it's really unbelievable looking at their thing. I mean, uh, they acquired what River Ryan for basically nothing. Um, they Matt I mean, Beatty it, in a DFA trade, I think. It's 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 just yeah. crazy. It's absolutely crazy what Look, they've been doing. I, I play in a score sheet league, and I've since traded both of these guys, um, and one of them I really wish I hadn't. But when we did our first year player draft in 2022. I took Nick Nostrini and Emmett Sheehan like three rounds before they were taken in real life. And everybody was going, what on earth are you doing? And I'm just like, wait six months. And then I traded mm-hmm. Sheehan for Travis Darno, which was a really bad idea. Um, but yeah, it's just like these, <laughs> like these names are like, I can, you know. Yeah. I mean, the kinda, Dodgers. We, like we, we even kind of know who the next ones are going to be at this point. Right. Like, yeah. And, and they Ronan also Kopp, just, they, Ronan Kopp is going to be the next one. Yeah. They um, just cut, they just cut guys too. Like they'll, yeah. they'll move on from guys. Like they had no problems training Clayton beater uh, last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, and like they talking to Dodger folks, they were super high when they drafted him. So like it, it's, it's, they, if it doesn't work out, they're not, they're quickly willing to find another suitor for that player um, and probably win whatever trade they're, they're, um, they're in because it just happens. If, if a, if a team like the Dodgers or the Rays are interested in a pitcher, that pitcher is probably going to end up being good. Yeah. I mean, Justin Robleski is another one of these guys out of nowhere. They, they're doing this on the hitting side too. They took Chris Newell, who's a guy that I liked going back to, high school um he was a pennsylvania area high school guy i'd seen him yeah. a few times in high school and he ended up 
matriculating in Virginia, which is like one of the worst player development colleges around at this point. Like it just yeah, is. we've all, we've already talked enough smack about them. I think yeah. this is the third episode that we've talked about how bad Virginia is. Just a disaster. Um, so he goes there. He doesn't really hit, and the Dodgers pop him and. Day three, and I think gave him slightly over slot. I'm not actually looking those things up right now. Yeah, he's a midseason 50 candidate too. I don't think he's going to make it, but like he's he's been one of the yeah. best power hitters in the minor leagues in the first half of the season. Just out of this was a guy who didn't really hit in college. Um, just like they they're pulling these guys out of out of left, right, center, other teams. Day three mm-hmm. picks just like everywhere, and it's just every team keeps talking about become like the Mets keep talking about becoming Dodgers East, and like that's a really nice thing to say. Now, put in the now you have to build the scouting and player development organization, mm-hmm. it does not look like you can actually do it yet. And you also have got to listen to guys too, like yeah. that. That's one of the things, uh. I, I don't know if I told this story, but last year, like literally they had a scout at the last week of double A, the Mets, um, last week of double A ball, checking out a minor league free agent. Um, like there was no other reason for them to be there. And they're, they're about to go to the playoffs. That, that guy could have at least been, you know, a lot of teams don't, don't, um, you know, what do they call it that they used advanced. to do all the time? Advanced guys. Yeah. They'll, they'll but when it the- came to the playoff times, that that's when, the smart organizations will start advancing guys. You, you take um, you take your amateur scouts because there's nothing happening after the Cape Cod League is done until college fall ball, and you take your pro scouts because who the hell cares about August pro looks? And you yeah. take them and put them on advance. And September there isn't there's the only level still playing is AAA. So yeah, you throw them on you throw them on advance work. It's a nice you know. They, like they there get, was, there was no reason why he was why he was there. Like I didn't ask right. him directly. I don't know the guy, I, I, whatever. Yeah. But when you see a scout there, and yeah. you like you're sitting with another scout, and like going, all right, well, I understand why you're here. Yeah, I don't understand why this guy about to go into the big, you know, in the playoffs uh, is right. here. And he, I mean, the scouting scout that I was talking to, one of my contacts was like, yeah, man, I have no clue why he's here. Maybe, he doesn't uh, have a clue. There's a there's a three percent chance that that guy picks up something on Joe Musgrove, and you get through because of that. How much yep. is that worth to your organization? Mm-hmm. Like, Instead, he's watching, you know, uh, Eli De, De La Cruz, who he's not going to acquire. Right. Um, he's yeah. he's looking at a bunch of things. He's probably looking at a reliever to bring into camp next year. Or and you're, like you're looking at deciding whether to waiver claim Alan Serta. Like, yeah, like. <laughs> Alan yeah. I love Alan Serta. He's he's not gonna make he's not any good, but I love him. No, he isn't. My my wife <laughs> scouted him. I took my wife to the game. She doesn't normally go. I took her to Jackson Choria's uh, last game in town. And uh she sees Serta. She's like, he's built like a football player. Why is he playing baseball? And I showed her <laughs> I said, question. because he's not from America and that's, that's why awesome. you know <laughs> she's I mean he is I, I stuck him at the last spot on the Reds list. I think I wrote him as an extra guy just because I wanted to write about him because it was so entertaining. It's entertaining. It's entertaining. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is uh, the other t- entertaining guy in that is Reese Hines. I don't know if you've yeah. gotten to see him. Uh, I, I don't know, man. Like it's it's like it looks so good and it looks so bad at the same time. Like uh, 
when he's How- got, when he does good, when he gets, when he gets a hold of a ball, no one, you know, he can hit the ball. He can, uh, he can get the exit velocity and all that kind of stuff, but he might not hit the ball the rest of the series. How's, like it's, um, would you put a whew. two on his barrel control? Bar- barrel control, yes, a two. Definitely. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That was, yeah, my, was my, oh, and, and that was another thing. My wife goes, this, this guy looks like a player. And I was like, yeah, I haven't seen him swing yet. Oh, I'm sweetie. Sorry. I mean, um, that's the, the Cincinnati Reds get a lot of guys who look like players. A few of them yes. actually are. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are. actually. They're great at uncovering these great athletes, and a few of them have hit over the years. Yeah, and and they they tend to they tend to get some arms out of there, mostly yeah. uh, reliever arms and stuff. But they tend to they tend to be very sneaky with that stuff. I'm always I'm always surprised by them. Uh, you know, having watched a lot of them, having watched a lot of twins before that. Um, you know, the twins organization basically fed the Rays organization a bunch of pitchers at one point, yeah. uh, whether it was direct or through minor league free agency or through other teams. Like, I remember like the 2017 lookouts, there was like five pitchers uh, during one of the seasons for the Rays. I think the 2021 season of the Rays, like, it, it's amazing. Like, um, and, and then that eventually turned around and they got Joe Ryan for Nelson Cruz. So. Yes, 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 yes. Joe Ryan. Well, this is a good little stopping point for this episode. Uh, do you have anything on tap, uh, um, Jarrett? Something to look forward to, whether I, it's publishing or whether it's a um, live look. Um, I, in theory, I am picking up Spencer Jones and Jackson Holiday at some point in July. We'll see how that goes. I have been working on an article about two pitch starting pitching prospects for like a month and a half, and I'm either at some point going to publish it or just scrap it. Um, I am working pretty hard on our mid-season 50 right now. I have my Twitter yeah. at J.A. Seidler, S-E-I-D-L-E-R. I do not suggest you follow me. My Twitter is a freaking mess. I almost cursed there, sorry. Um, my, my Twitter is just a disaster. But uh, if you really want to follow my random thoughts, you can follow me on Twitter. I do a podcast, and yeah, our mid-season 50 is coming out. And, three or four weeks. I don't even know exactly when Craig is back from his paternity leave tomorrow. So I will probably have an answer for that by the end of the week. Oh, that's good. That's good. Oh, my, my favorite is, uh, uh, in 2014, uh, buddy, Mike Newman, who's a friend of yours. He's a, yes. uh, we call him retired prospect writer. Yes. Wrote a, uh, two wrote the same article, but in 2014, I'm very interested to read your article. And then see how right you were, because he went with James McDonald. That was his whole That's a, like his, yeah. and it, it it didn't really work I'm, out. Great I'm looking. At, I'm gonna be looking at Justin Steele, who's in the uh, majors. Um, just a, he's a really interesting. He's throwing like yes, 90, he's very interesting. He's like throwing like 97 percent fastball slider. Like there's just yeah. almost not, and he's been good. Um, and there's more of a propon like you can get away with throwing ninety percent fastball slider, ninety percent fastball change now as a starter. And up until four or five years ago, the orthodoxy was you were a closer if you did that. And I think that's really interesting. I have no live looks that for the next two weeks. We're not gonna um, we're not gonna venture back out to see Rocket City. Um, I mean, oh, it's boy. Angel's yeah. organization, and it's. I mean, I love, I love watching Edgar Cuero, but I've had enough already that I don't need to see everybody else there. Um, and you might, then, get, you uh, might get Daniel Murphy there. They did just sign Daniel Murphy to a minor league deal today. 
Oh my god, if that happens, I'm definitely going to be there. I mean, it's this week, so I, who knows? He could be uh, they, going to extend they, it or something like they that. They pulled him off. They pulled him off of the Long Island docks where he was leading the Atlantic League and hitting. So yes, I was yeah. personally hoping he'd end up on the Mets. I, I feel like he needed a, a swan song there. Um, uh, but I guess his swan song with the Mets was the uh, uh, old timers game last year. I was so. at that. That was that. That was a lot of fun. He was also the only person on the field, like visibly trying, which was the point. <laughs> which, I knew, which was the point at which I knew he didn't actually think it was done because he's like he's like out there like running for like cutoffs and stuff like that, and everybody else is just like kind of jogging after the ball, and he's like. He's like doing like yep. the try hard stuff at second base and like doing. Like but Daniel Daniel Murphy will be like that when he's fifty five too. Like yeah. I, I fully yeah, expect probably. he's just going to be a lot slower. But yeah. like he was he's doing definitely going to be that guy. I'll tell you what, Indy Chavez still looked like a six center fielder in that game. I know, man. I I watched it on I watched it on yeah. Facebook. As people yeah. know here, I grew up a Mets fan, and yeah. all those guys are guys that I I care about still. So yeah. it's good seeing them all. Um. My other what's on tap is this week we're going to be writing uh, up some Northwest League prospects. I've been mining that. I'm, I'm going to stay away from some of the bigger names and go for some of the smaller names like Tyler Locklear um, uh, from the Mariners organization. Some other guys, too. There's, there's, it, it's not the best league to scout right now, um, but it, it's interesting enough. Um, so that's what I have on tap. Um, I want to thank Jared again for joining us. Thank you again for coming on. We'll definitely have you on next year as well. Um, uh, I'll, I'll plan for a three-hour. Um, I warned. I warned you, man. You did. You did. But but I'm going to enjoy this. This is good, and I I'm I'm almost curious if uh, I have Jeff Ponce back on if he tries <laughs> to beat you. Uh, this year, because uh, uh, Jeff can go on and on as well. Uh, but we got a lot of great information, a lot of stuff that I mean, we went on discussions about guys that uh, I don't think you're going to get in any other the fa- other the fantasy podcast. Um, so it's good, um, even though you only do the right score sheet, right? That's what you do. I play in a wacky score sheet league with yeah. Lance- People, some of whom are from the industry and some of whom are not, which rosters 85 players per team on 24 teams. So we go pretty deep. Wow, man. Yeah. Wow. Every, yeah. Like, again, and I, <laughs> I drafted Zach Dezenzo and I had like seven more picks after him. Like, <laughs> that's, that's how deep we're talking. Like, yeah, I, I, um, I, I have, you know the big breakout in the FCL this year on the Yankees team is Emmanuel Tejeda. Yes, I already have him. I signed him in our international free agency period last year. He's our him and Kiner Delgado are already in my farm system. So you're 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 essentially I don't know if you know Tom Trudeau at all, but you're like uh, the Tom hello. Trudeau yeah. score sheet. Yeah, um, I, I that's. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Tom Trudeau move. Uh, I'm not. I'm not really close to Tom Trudeau, but I also admire his uh, yeah. his uh, nuggets that he finds uh, different places in these leagues that I compete against yeah. him in. So I, I, uh, I, I, I did not. Um, yeah, I pulling DSL batted ball data for my fantasy <laughs> league was not the proudest moment of my life, but it does appear to have gotten me some guys. So yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. I, I hear you. I did this. I did similar stuff. Uh, well, anyway, uh, thank you everybody who listened this week. Uh, Jarrett was a great guest. Uh, 
Uh, Brent will be back next week co-hosting. I think he's going to probably take more of a, he'll be the host and I'll be the guest type, uh, type week. We, we don't know at this point, we'll figure it out. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com. Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at C underscore blessing. If you're listening to our podcast for the first time, we're not usually this long, but we got a lot of great information today, but please click subscribe uh, to get our future episodes. Rank us too. We need your help uh, there. Um, I mean, we have a perfect ranking right now, but I like more rankings. Uh, spread the word about us, too. Uh, I know in fantasy, it's really hard uh, to give your sources up. But you got to think almost everybody has the same sources at this point because uh, there's so much great content out there for fantasy baseball. So, uh, everyone, uh, have a great week. And, Jared, again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me, Chris.